And indeed, the sustainer of hearts and souls in every single thing that we witness and the things that we don't witness in the heavens and on earth. And the witness of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is his final messenger, messenger of the light that he has sent upon this earth to guide humanity and every creature to the move, to the light of Allah Azza wa Today, dear brothers and sisters, I want to share with you uh, perspectives on a, on a beautiful surah that we've come to fall in love with. Surah Al-Kahf, the one that we recite every single Friday or we're encouraged to recite every single Friday a surah about which Prophet Muhammad said, مَنْ قَرَأَهَا جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ نُورًا Whoever recites this surah on a Friday or the night of Friday, Allah shall grant him or her a light. مِنْ تَحْتِ قَدَمَيْهِ From underneath his feet or her feet to the heavens, to the clouds, and above. Can you imagine every single Friday, from a Friday to a Friday, Allah illuminating you, guiding your heart and your soul and your mind, guiding you through the difficulties and challenges and the doubts of life through a surah? Why? Because it's so rich. Because it speaks to the incredible realities. It's timeless. It's a, it's a surah we're supposed to reflect on through the series of four stories, timeless stories that the, that the divine Allah Azza wa Jal, the God of hearts and souls, who gave us this light, chose to eternalize in his word in this surah that he wants us to reflect on every Friday. Four powerful surahs that speak of the trials of life. And what is our life but hardship? No escape from this. Every single day is struggle. How do we make, make sense of this life? How do we get the energy we need? The, the guidance, the light in the heart, the relief, the healing through all the pain and all the grief and all the despair and all the hopelessness. And the countless questions we cannot resolve in our heads. How do we get through all of this? Here is the light of the Quran. To now four stories that speak of the trials of life because they're your and my trials and they are relevant. I'll focus your attention and my attention on the first surah that Allah has placed in this incredible, incredible surah in the Qur'an. As a timeless story, he says, you and I need to hear today. And what is the story? Summarized by a beautiful verse in which Allah says, Here is why he put this story at the beginning of the surah and highlighted what is important to what, what is important in it, it's summarized in a verse in which Allah, the Almighty says, they're indeed a group, a band of young men, youth, a group of youth. What is special about them, Ya Allah, that you put their story right here at the beginning of Surah Al-Kahf? Two things, they believed in Allah. Wow. Believed in Allah. That's what distinguished them. Their names are unknown. And we know the story of the people of the cave. Names unknown, and they lived there or stayed there asleep for 309 years. Then Allah decided to put it in the Quran eternally for us to reflect on. In Namfitya, they're indeed youth, Allah says, not just older men or women. No, 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 no. They're youth. But they believe in Allah. The question is in what time and in what kind of an environment? And why is it relevant to us today? And why is it important to pay attention to us? Because Allah said so. It happened at a time in a, in a town, big town, where the people did not believe in Allah and took partners with Him. 
and had a king who was a, who was a very arrogant tyrant, demanded that everyone in that culture, in that environment, obeys partners with God. That they follow their whims and desires and neglect the ultimate reality. It was forced on them even that everybody, everybody had to line up. And indeed everybody in that city lined up. Somehow, somewhere, the word of Allah about believing in that bigger reality than objective, object reality right here that we witness with our eyes and see. Allah says there's a bigger reality. A group of young people found that light. Allah knows how. Allah didn't mention it. The word of Allah, the truth, searches us, searches us out. It's there. We have to just open our hearts and minds to it. It could have been a messenger. It could have been a, a, a story that someone told from, from another person, from another person. Allah knows where it started. But the word and the light of Allah found the hearts of these young men. And they were impacted and inspired. That in this ocean of deviance, of disbelief, they rose to believe in Allah They arose and they were talking amongst themselves because they're close friends. Close friends, they hung together, they strengthened each other, and to collectively they said, how can we not believe in Allah after the word reached them? Despite all that pressure, despite the heat of the pressure on them and the possibility of persecution, and, 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 they said, how can we not? They rose amongst the people. And they said this, they articulated it because it's here. It's not fake, it's not forced on them. They witnessed Allah. So they said, Rabbuna, our source, our originator, our nurturer is Rabbu Samatar, the one who nurtures and is the source of everything in the heavens and the earth. See how simple this statement? It doesn't come from many, many sincere hearts that really see it. It's not just a profession or a, a pronouncement, excuse me, that we say and then the heart is not believing in it. And it can be shaken any time. They really saw that. Why? Because Allah got in their hearts. In the midst of a very tough environment, it is impossible for us to worship anyone but Him. How can we? Have we lost our minds and hearts? Well, the word gets around that they believed in Allah. And the people were in uproar, and the king found out, and they, he summoned them to his court. What's wrong with these troublemakers that are challenging the status quo, the common ideology? Because it serves the culture, it serves the king. We don't want deviants misaligning with this belief. They're a threat to everyone. Let's see what's their story. So he brings them to his court, and he asks them, who are you believing in? I heard things about you. And they said, la ilaha illallah. No God but Allah. It's firm. It is certain in their hearts they had no fear in the moment. The king couldn't believe it. And he threatened them. He had hoped that they might succumb to his pressure. Because he needs them to line up. He doesn't want to just kill them. So he threatened them. He said, listen, I'm going to give you time, a few days. Go think about what you've stated. And you better come back disbelieving in it. And believing in our gods. He sent them away. So they left in fear, they left shocked, you know, worried about the possibility, and he threatened them with what? And he, he threatened them with death, torture and death. Can you imagine the pressure of that? That's the band of men, this band of young men faced? Wow, who would buckle under that? Who, can, who would abandon their faith? Who would run away? What did they do? They consulted amongst each other. Young men, early, mid-teens, Allah knows. 
Allah knows of their age and their names indeed are unknown. They consulted and they said, no, we can't stay here. Either we give up our faith or we leave and we're not going to give up our faith. Never. And they decided amongst themselves and Allah steered their hearts to run away. But run where? Into the open ocean or the open desert? Where do you go? One of them had a thought about a cave he knew. And it's Allah who put that thought in his heart. And he said, I know a cave, distant cave, let's go there. Maybe we'll find refuge. And Allah records for us what they said. They said, As they departed from the city seeking the cave, they said, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, grant us all we want is from you mercy. That's it. Can you imagine? Because if you sense the mercy of Allah, you're, you're set free. You feel safe, you feel strong, you feel uplifted. I'm aware right now that Allah is with me with His extensive, overwhelming mercy. If it touches me and you, we're set free. We're empowered. It's there. All we have to do is recognize it. It lifts us up just to know that the hand of Allah, the caring hand of Allah is behind us. They asked for that mercy. They said, Ya Allah, grant us your mercy and facilitate ease within our affair. It is in your hand. And they departed running towards that cave and they ended up in the cave and the story is called the cave. Cave with its mystery, its darkness, why would you seek shelter there? Shelter in a cave full of spiders and God knows what snakes and creatures that can harm you. That's where Allah steered them in this ocean of distraction and deviance. They ran towards the cave and they got into the cave and they took their break. They might have had little food and they ran out of, out of everything and before they know it, they fell asleep for a day and two and three and four and five and six. They were not waking up. Allah recorded what happened. Allah turned their lives into miracles. Kept them alive but put them to sleep in that cave to be protected. It became a shelter, a womb from Allah Azza wa Jal. While everything, the, you know, the, the environment is, is on fire around them and they can be threatened with death. Excuse me, they can face death. Allah sheltered them and he's going to now turn these young people who took Allah as the one, right, as the one God in their lives, who believed in him. He said, I'm going to immortalize, eternalize their mention and their name because of that precious faith in their heart. And I'm going to turn their lives into a miracle and a sign for everyone to witness and understand. Their lives, they didn't do anything, brothers and sisters. These young men had no credentials. They didn't learn at a university and got an Islamic degree. They didn't do any of that. They had belief in Allah Azza wa Jal, and Allah eternalized their name and their mention. SubhanAllah. And their story is something we read right now and we hear and we love. 309 years, Allah gives us the number of years that they stayed in that cave. 309 years, and as Allah tells us in the Quran, He was protecting them and sheltering them and providing for them without even food and drink. They were fed by Allah. And Allah tossed their bodies as they lay down to protect even their skin from, you know, essentially, uh, you know, getting harmed or, or by, by invading bacteria and viruses, nor from it rottening. Allah tossed them around in their muscles and kept their eyes open so that if a passerby comes and sees through the cave, the mouth of the cave, he'll think this is just a group of people who are just awake 
They had no idea, they will have no idea that they're asleep. And they would be scared of them and run away. Wow, all these miracles? And Allah records another miracle where He says that even at sunrise and sunset, we protected them from the heat of the sun by making the sun swerve to the right and swerve to the left. That its heat and its rays do not hit the, the, the opening of the cave and it doesn't touch them and harm them. Who is protecting them for all of us? Allah. They wake up 309 years later, unaware that they have stayed there for centuries. They thought it was a day or two. And they were hungry. Can you imagine? Allah made them hungry. Allah fed them, but also made them sense hunger only 309 years later. And they start to ask, ah, we're hungry. Oh, you know, they remembered the town. And they said, who amongst us can go and buy us some food? But be careful, because they're looking for us. They didn't know that in that 309 years, their story became widespread. And people heard of them. And they were inquiring about who these young men were and their number and, and, and. One man finds his way back into the city, but his currency is old. And it had the picture of even the king, the tyrant king that threatened them with death. So they would find someone, and, and he was seeking just, you know, he, he was not making himself news for the city. He came in secretly and then found found a shop to buy some food from and he gave him the currency and they said, behold, what is this? And suddenly the, start, the, the story ripples out and they found these men. And you know the rest of the story. What happened is that they went back to the cave with them, the people of the city, and they were joyous over their news. Why? Because within that time period, what happened is that, that the tyrant has died and the lot of Allah has come into that city and touch the heart of everyone. That these people they were afraid of, the people of the town, found Allah and became believers. So they were celebrating, celebrating what they found. They found the men that they heard about. Maybe their story was the inspiration for them. And they found Allah Azza And they immediately after passed away. Allah woke them up nine years later, only to live for a few days to testify to the power of Allah. Allah made them into a miracle. Why did Allah transform them as such? Why did Allah protect them as such? Why did Allah record their story and their names are unknown? To tell us, to send us the message that there's nothing more beautiful than faith. And if the faith of Allah touches the heart of young men and women, their names are recorded. Their stories are recorded. They transform nations. These young men transformed the whole city. And they had no idea how Allah will use them. It's Allah that steered their hearts and souls. And Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Kahf, it is us who fortified their hearts. Because the pressure is enormous. I ask you, dear brothers and sisters, how many of us are aware of the crisis of faith right now that we're experiencing? The crisis of loss of faith, of young men and women, children questioning the existence of God, of them renouncing and drifting away from their faith secretly while pretending to be Muslim, who might be even observing the Salah and the fast, but in their hearts they don't believe in God. Or they believe in what is called deism because they give up on all the culture around them. And what is deism but the belief in God, but not believing in any religion because they're tired, sick and tired of religion. So they say, listen, we're going to believe in God, it's called deism. And many are becoming followers of deism now, even amongst the Muslims. Many of us are unaware. That this is a matter of urgency. It's an important cause. For indeed, 
It is the Prophet ﷺ who told us that there is nothing, a greater gift, a greater dream for a human being than to leave behind a righteous child who will pray for us. Can you imagine the, the dream that all of us have? I have it, I'm sure you have it. That one day our little children will become devout servants of God that after we die, they don't leave their faith, they don't renounce it, but they start to make du'a for us. For Allah to enfold us in His mercy. Imagine if your children reach that destination, how happy will you and I be? There's no dream like this. We know it. We can have the whole world. And we understand that if our children lost their faith, we've lost everything. We've lost everything. And if we've indeed gained that faith, and our children gained that faith and lost everything else, subhanAllah, they're triumphant of Allah. And the opposite is true. The opposite is true. That if they had everything and lost Allah, then what is their life worth? And what's their purpose and meaning? Where are they going? But many of us may not realize that indeed they're living in a very harsh environment. That feels like a hot cold as the Prophet ﷺ described it. He says, a time will come where the one holding on to Islam, to their faith, he says it's like a hot cold. You know who had that hot cold? The young men of the cave. It was really hot. What does that mean? Try putting uh, something hot in your hand. What are you going to do? Barely hot. Oh my goodness, you're going to throw it away right away. The Prophet said, holding on to our faith is going to feel like that. It's going to be very difficult, very harsh. Our young children are finding themselves, themselves in these toxic environments that makes their mind encounter philosophies and ideas that nullify God, devalues Him completely that invites them, it's a call by the way, that invites them towards thinking that all that matters in this world is body and passion and desire. That what exists is not spiritual, what exists is what I can see with my eyes and, my, and feel with my hands. Only material reality. That's what they're being invited to believe in. They're invited to believe in individualism. Pursue your wishes and pursue your desires because there's no such thing as accountability. It's nonsense. A world that invites them to materialism, to accumulation, to fulfillment of desire, be free. Be free. They're surrounded by this night and day. And many of them have this identity crisis. I've known of children who were picked on in school and their nicknames became terrorists. Wow, imagine growing up in, you know, in, this, in this culture. That, that undermines your well-being, that, that says you don't belong. Imagine hearing this from other young children. Your name is Terrence, your nickname. And they're calling you as such. How does that affect a person? How does it affect a child who sees his skin, her skin, and they see it's brown and it doesn't fit into white? This is real. And carrying an Arabic name or an Asian name that is not American and you're afraid, how are they going to perceive my child when they announce their name? And it's not a quote unquote an American name, not even understanding what an American name is or isn't. How do we feel about all of this and how do our children feel? It's a very harsh and tough environment that challenges them intellectually. Where right now you might think your child is observing the rituals, but right there in school and in college they're hearing the message that indeed there is no such thing as, as existence of God. It's nonsense. Where they're being challenged now even morally and ethically to say that, what kind of a religion do you belong to that favors men over women? And they go back into their community and their homes and they find this to be real. 
indeed, why am I being discriminated against as a girl? Why are they preferring, why is my daddy and my mommy preferring one over me? So they find this consistency because, you know, between what they're experiencing and what they're hearing outside about their faith, and they start to give up their faith, to see the hypocrisy to it, to how we preach to them, and the lives that we live, and the messages they're hearing outside. They're hearing a message that says, if indeed God is merciful, why is there such a thing as evil and persecution? Why and why and why? We think they have easy answers for these things. I've asked many adults, many parents, do you know how to address any of these things? And they say, if, you really, if I really think about it, I have no answer. I have no answer, yet we beat our children into believing in all of this. We say, we say, just believe, just believe. They're encountering all of this, and they're facing these tough questions that say, there is no such a, a, such a thing as a God, there is evolution, and we'll prove to you that indeed you can evolve from nothing. A false, false claim. But our children don't have the tools because they never had the cave, the environment that nurtures their awareness and understanding. They find themselves within a, within a place, within a setting that tells them, all I want you to remember is the punishment of God that is waiting for you. Where, indeed, you've done such and such and such a terrible, awful thing, you know what, and, and the child keeps hearing the message, you're awful, you're awful, you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, that it becomes their personality and their reality. We're not aware of this, but I can tell you stories. 20 years, brothers and sisters, I've been dealing with young people. 20 years, what a blessing it has been. It gave me this insight, this view into it, and it's a very tough reality. I can't even tell you about the countless stories that have come to me from young people and their parents about the loss of faith. About the loss of faith, I'll share with you some of the statements that have come to me, verbally or in written form from these young people, someone who tells me, why do I even need God in my life? Or the other who says, how do I even prove to myself that God exists? To those who say, well, I can't find any logic in Islam, explain it to me, it's not making any sense. To the one who said to me, well, I did not ask God to create me. I did not ask God to create me. I have a right to live as free as a bird. Because that's what they're bombarded with. To the one who told me, listen, I grew up believing. And then I heard all these attacks and assaults on my faith. And I'm trying to defend my faith. And I would go and check online on all kinds of pages that speak of, you know, uh, rebuttals to these attacks. I'm trying to educate myself and I come across the Richard Dawkins and the Sam Harris's and the, and the Hitchens and, and, and some of the new atheists. And I look at their arguments and I reflect on their arguments and my suspicion became true. Their arguments are stronger than what I hear from my parents, from the mosque, from, 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 from. Why should I believe? Much easier not to believe. To the one who literally told me when I had a conversation with this 17-year-old, and I, you know, I, I was realizing he had some doubts, and his parents explained that to me. So I wanted to engage him a little bit, and he said to me, listen, yeah, I do have these serious doubts. I can talk about them much to others. I'll open up with you. Yes, I do. My friends talk about it in high school. And I said, so what do you do to help yourself navigate those doubts? He said, I just push it aside. Because it's a very uncomfortable, I don't know how to think about it. So what I do is just go on believing 
and I choose to just let go of that discomfort. So I said, you didn't really think about those questions deeply to see if you can answer them for yourself? He said, no, I can't. And we had a conversation about building those anchors. And indeed, go through a conversation where this young man needed to understand the necessity for God's existence. And subhanAllah, through a very simple conversation, he said, oh, I never thought about this. I said, if you anchor yourself in the belief of Allah Azza wa doubts will toss you around like a fish in an ocean. Fish in an ocean because you don't have that foundation that many of our children are growing up in this. And I swore to you recently, I had a professor with a very devout older Muslim. MashaAllah, highly educated, Ivy League, very strong believer who came and said to me, listen, I really have this tough question. And I don't know how to answer it. And it's really make, troubling me, troubling me. And I said, give me your question, share. He said, I understand all this talk about God's mercy, but then there is an eternal hellfire. How do I deal with that? These questions are real, brothers and sisters. And they engender doubt to the point where we hear right now that indeed 23% of Muslims have left Islam. This is very serious. And many have become marginal Muslims, cultural Muslims with just a name. So Al Qaf said that this is very important. Prophet Ibrahim salam, believe it or not, Prophet Ibrahim, whose children are Ishaq and Ismail, made dua to Allah, وَجْنُبْنِي وَبَنِيَّةً and الْأَصْلَمْ Ya Allah, protect me, my children, from worshiping idols. I always say, subhanAllah, Prophet Ibrahim was worried about himself and his child, Ismail, and his half worshiping idols. Wow, what kind of a parent was he? This is the Prophet of Allah, a Prophet of Allah, a revered Prophet of Allah. And he had had that concern about even Ismail's child. And some of us think, my child memorized the Quran. I can tell you right now, I've seen several who memorized the Quran and they left Islam. Or they're engaged in very toxic behaviors. Because it was never real for them. They didn't witness it. For whatever the reasons are that we've you know, gone over, many other reasons that really sums up this reality that we're growing up and our children are growing up in very tough environments that feel like a cold. You and I need to understand it so that we can tackle it. We can't walk in keep walking around putting our heads in the ground and not understanding this is the greatest of causes. This is the greatest of causes and us facilitating the path for our children and helping them, brothers and sisters, is the most honorable of missions, is the most urgent it really is an urgent reality. And I ask Allah Azza wa that He steers our hearts and fortifies them with faith. He fortifies the hearts and minds of our children that they stem this tide of disbelief in Allah Azza wa Jal. Countless stories, indeed, brothers and sisters. I cannot count them by hand. I go to bed thinking about them, and I wake up in the morning thinking about them. I say, SubhanAllah, what is the worth of the faith of a child? I think of my own children, my own children, and they're hot, cold, very hot. And I don't have answers. Do you think I have answers for these things? Believe me, as a father, I'm also struggling with my children. I'm also worried, but with hope in Allah Azza wa Worried, but with hope in Allah Azza wa because if I'm not going to be concerned, then SubhanAllah, 
That means I'm taking this for granted. I'm not understanding. Ibrahim salam was worried. We have to be worried, but with a plan and a strategy. The question today, brothers and sisters, is how do we lighten that haqqum? That they indeed see the beauty of Allah and His oneness and the need for Allah in their lives. How do we equip them with a foundation to navigate through their doubts? What is that foundation? How do we help them understand indeed and see within their hearts and minds the existence of Allah Azzawajal? And then the subsequent need for faith and religion. Believe me, young people don't need to believe in this. They tell you, I don't need this. It's not fulfilling me. It's not helping me. It's not healing me. And I'm seeing a lot of hypocrisy. Young men and women and older ones are struggling with serious doubts, but they're afraid of talking about them. Afraid of talking about them. The question today is, where is the cave? Where is that place that nurtures and gives them the confidence and the comfort to ask them questions? Where is that one cave that makes them feel sheltered, that serves like a womb or acts like a womb? a womb of care and mercy and upliftment that gives them indeed the strength and the guidance and the light to understand how to tackle issues. I ask you, brothers and sisters, you and I, are we being those wombs and caves? I swear to you, as a father, I may not be even able to be a womb for my own children in a sense, because it's hard with your children. And I pray, I say, may Allah bring them wombs and caves, within which they'll find that retreat and comfort and ability to reflect and strengthen each other. And I swear to you, in, in my own personal work, I honestly, in my own struggles with my own children, and I love my children, and I adore them, but I realize and recognize the difficult environment they're in. There are no guarantees. I've seen many have faith and lose it. I've seen many who had no faith, but found the nur of Allah in a blink of an eye. Allah is the one who opens hearts and souls. But I said to myself, SubhanAllah, Ya Allah, steer me to help other children, because they're my children. My children, your child is my child. And I pray for nothing but their healing and for that faith to find its, find its way will strengthen their hearts. That they have no, none of these doubts, that they know how to navigate for them. And in the same way, I pray that Allah brings you as fathers and mother, mothers for my own children. We need each other in this. And I cannot highlight, as I said, a more urgent imperative in our days and lives than to do our best to facilitate the growth of our children in this very hard place, the hot coal that they're holding onto. Imagine and reflect again on the people of the cave and what Allah has done with them. He turned it into miracles. They didn't have the credentials. Every child has that opportunity. And they really need the tools and the encouragement and the environments and the investment in this. Alhamdulillah for a place like ICCP, we're really trying to address all age groups and even the Sunday school that we have. By Allah, each child in it, we see them as that tree, as that member of the band of the youth in the cave. We see it, and we recognize the hot coals that they have. Within the halaqas and the lessons and the khutbas and the interactions, we pray to Allah that Allah establishes this place as a place of life, comfort, and as a cave. Cave and a place for us to come and find strength so that we can live here and indeed navigate through this tough terrain of life. Life is hard. But the beneficence and the goodness of Allah is here, but Allah uses us as instruments. Allah uses us as instruments. Our children indeed need more than food and drink. They need more than just an education for their minds. They need education for, hearts, for their hearts and souls. Here's what I want to share with you.
Inshallah, in the next few khutbahs that I'm going to share with you, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to focus on this topic. But with also an eye on how to figure out answers and fortify ourselves as parents so that we can talk to our children. Make sense? So that you know how to, in, in your mind, prove the existence of God. So that you can have an intelligent conversation with your child. To address questions, questions of, of gender, of the significance of the spiritual reality, so that they can see the unseen and feel it. So that they can feel the love of Allah. How do you open their hearts? Allah opens their hearts. But we need to learn how to facilitate the openings of their hearts. We need to become strong and comfortable in those conversations. And inshallah, over the next few khutbahs, I'll try my absolute best to share with you some lessons and insights into having some of these conversations. And guiding their logic and their minds and their hearts to know how to feel and how to know how to sense, to prove, so to speak, that indeed God is there. We ask Allah Azza to guide our hearts and souls, to steer them and fortify them. We ask Allah to not make our hearts swerve from faith and swerve from faith in Him and belief in Him and His oneness. We ask Allah Azza to make us see the light of Haq, of the truth, and to guide us to the, to the truth, and make us walk in the footsteps of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We ask Allah to guide our our children, our young men and women, we ask Allah Azza to fortify and grow their hearts and heal them. We ask Allah Azza to put His word in their hearts to make them overcome their doubts, to find healing and to find that love of Allah and the boundless mercy in their lives. We ask Allah Azza to strengthen them and to grant us righteous, devout children that will pray for us after our death. May Allah make us understand the urgency of this cause and may Allah make us amongst His instruments that serve his faith and call others to it, including our children. Allahumma fillana wa rahamna wa rahamna wa tawalla amrana wa ahsan khalasana wa akhtim bil baqiyat salihati a'malana. Allahumma adina ila siratika mustaqim sarata ladina an'amta alayhim wa ila al-mabubu alayhim wa al-dhalim. Ameen wa akhtim salam. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah. Ashadu anna Muhammad al-Rasul Allah. 